Hi, everyone. We are back for the second time in a week to talk about a major happening in immigration law. I'm Lindsay Gray of Vecina and the Inadmissible Podcast, and I am here with Vecina's board president, Kate Lincoln-Goldfinch. Kate, hi. Hi, Lindsay. Hey, everybody. (laughs) So we received a positive case from the Supreme Court yesterday about an immigration border policy called the Migrant Protection Protocols, otherwise known as MPP, otherwise known as Remain in Mexico. And what the decision said was that the Biden administration lawfully called for the termination of MPP, meaning the end of this border policy called MPP. So Kate, what's MPP? Okay, MPP, Remain in Mexico, is a policy that was implemented by Trump in one of his various attempts to end asylum. He tried, I don't even know how many different policies or program programs or orders, but MPP was one that uh, was one major step in what was ultimately, I think, the death blow for asylum during the Trump administration that we haven't really seen overturned um, by the Biden administration yet. So MPP sends certain asylum seekers, we're talking about asylum seekers, back to Mexico. They are registered in the asylum system, meaning they get to await a hearing um, and, you know, under the policy, supposedly they can win asylum, although very, very few do, Uh, but they get sent back to Mexico while they're awaiting their hearing. And they may, you know, they're displaced migrants, most of them in Mexico. So they may or may not have shelter or any basic life needs while they're in Mexico awaiting their court hearing. So the Biden administration attempted to cancel it. Their cancellation was enjoined. And the Supreme Court said, as a matter of fact, the Biden administration does have the authority to cancel the program. Okay. So a couple of things in terms of enjoined, what, so the Biden administration tried to cancel MPP and that was enjoined. How did that come about and what does that mean? Okay, so this is, and this is something that (laughs) has happened quite a bit uh, to the Biden administration. An injunction means a block, a pause. So the Biden administration says, we're not doing MPP anymore. It's unjust, it's inhumane, it's cruel, it's contradictory to who we are as a nation, et cetera. And then certain states led by Texas in this case and our attorney general, Ken Paxton, we could do a whole other episode on him, brought a lawsuit saying the president doesn't have the authority uh, to cancel out MPP without following certain administrative procedures. And because they foreign chopped and found a conservative judge in a federal court, they were able to obtain an an injunction, which is an immediate temporary halt on whatever is happening, meaning the cancellation of MPP was halted until it could make its way all the way to the Supreme Court for the final decision. So essentially, Biden administration has been forced to keep MPP going throughout the pendency of the case up to the Supreme Court. Yeah, so you talked a second ago about, you know, some issues that arise with MPP, especially for migrants that are displaced from a third country in terms of lack of safe shelter, you know, access to to food and education and employment. What are some other issues that we see you know, playing out along the southern border with the implementation of MPP? 
Well, I mean, all of that to start out is something to really think about and consider. Um, it has not only impact on you know diplomatic relations with Mexico, but the migrants themselves are living in these, many of them in these makeshift tent camps where they don't have you know, UN refugee camps popping up in Mexico. These are people who just grab whatever they can to try and create a shelter in this, you know, open area. And maybe they have volunteers providing them with other items for shelter or clothing or food. And and Lindsay, I know you and I both have personally visited these camps and it's horrifying and shocking to see these people and children and babies Living in these situations, I met a father who was holding his two-month-old daughter who had been born in the tent camp. Um, and so it's that I mean, in and of itself is plenty. But then you add on uh, the cartel violence in Mexico and that the cartels have seized upon these migrant communities as a money-making opportunity. And so they have a very routine system where they will kidnap these migrants most of whom have contacts in the United States. They either have relatives or friends here who are ready to receive them. Most of them have a cell phone and they've got that person's number programmed in their phone and they'll get kidnapped and the kidnappers will take their phone and they'll call the person in their phone in the United States and um, demand a ransom payment. It's, you know, thousands of dollars, usually four to six or $8,000 per person. And then of course, while these people are being held, they're subjected to horrific violence. And it's extremely routine. It's not just, oh, every once in a while a migrant gets kidnapped. I mean, it's it's so routine that they they know things like when the cartel pulls over your bus, tell them that it's your second MPP court hearing because then they know that you would have already been kidnapped after your first court hearing. I mean, I had a client actually tell me that's how she escaped kidnapping that she told them it was her second court hearing, but that I could tell you all sorts of stories like that. So diplomatic problems for Mexico, horrific living conditions for migrants and anybody who's human should care about that. And then also the violence that it creates um, and subjects them to. Yeah. And I think that the important point to make as we're hearing questions about, you know, chaos at the border and will this create, you know, chaos at the border is that the chaos is there due to MPP and other border policies. We are empowering the cartels in this moment as these border policies continue. And we have created a giant humanitarian crisis for thousands of people. When the Biden administration first announced the MPP wind down in January of 2021, a number of people that were under what is commonly referred to as MPP 1.0 were able to enter the country. And that did not happen where 60,000 people came to the border at one time, all trying to rush in, um, as is the, the rhetoric or the scene that many would like to create. What happened is that there was an online form actually that people that were subject to MPP 1.0 had to go online and fill out a form. They received a screening phone call and then ultimately received a date and time to report to the bridge. They had to provide proof of their COVID vaccination, and you know they were they were again screened and permitted entry into the United States. In some ways, sort of under how more historically we have done 
processing. Now, you know, there had to be timely staggering of people because again, 60,000 people can't enter at one time, but we have done this. It was not perfect, but we have done it. And I, and I anticipate that the administration will do it again in a similar manner. Additionally, you know, the, the end of MPP does not take effect until the Supreme Court's mandate is handed down to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which happens uh, usually around 28 days. Now, we want to encourage the Biden administration to request that that be expedited. Um, and so hopefully this can get implemented sooner. But that's another thing, you know, to consider when we're thinking about how is this going to play out in practice? You know, I, I do want to just prepare people for what might look like chaos, not because of the decision on MPP. Um, we know because we've seen it happen that the administration can handle a wind down and a parole process for everybody who's already registered in an MPP system. That's going to happen. That'll be fine. But what also happens when there's major shifts, <clears throat> like if MPP gets rolled down, and then maybe Title 42 goes away. And then we get to a system where for the last, how many years? Two years at least, really more like four, migrants who are desperate have not had a way to get to our border and walk up to the bridge and say, I'm from El Salvador. I'm going to be killed if I go back to my country. Can you process me for asylum? We have not had that system in place. And because of that, the cartels have been enriched, not only because of the kidnappings, because they become the smugglers. And so you see those 50 people die in the back of a tractor trailer. That's because we haven't had a mechanism to legally process people in for asylum. So it's the opposite of what Greg Abbott has said, that it's open borders. It's actually the closed borders that creates dangerous situations like this and enriches the cartels. Um, I just want to make sure we're really clear on that. But And, and when MPP finally winds down, and Title 42, which I think we might talk about next. And we have all these migrants who have been waiting their chance to apply for asylum, come to the border. We may be understaffed on asylum officers. We may be understaffed on immigration judges. We may be um, not have detention beds available at the border. And it's going to look a little wild for a little while. And all of the, you know, Greg Abbott, Ken Paxson, they're going to be jumping up and down about what a mess and a nightmare it is. But the thing that I think all of us who are intelligent and care about this issue need to keep in mind is that no matter what the media is saying, is no matter what the politicians who are, are saying, um, who are seeking re-election, that we have a we had a functioning system in place where we knew how to process asylum seekers. And when we turn that system back online and we get back to that, it's gonna be messy for a minute and then it'll settle down. So I just, I know I keep, I say this all the time, it's like a drum beat for me, but I just, I wanna prepare everybody because that is what it's gonna look like. And it's gonna be tempting for everybody to freak out and believe the media reports. So yeah, just had to say that. I think sort of, on that note, but in some ways, like just in response to it, we were for a future episode talking to Nicole Ramos today from Al Otro Lado, and Nicole is the border rights director in Tijuana, Mexico, and so she her she lives, sleeps, and breathes the port of entry in Tijuana. And what's she said something really interesting today was that currently 
you know, under certain litigation exceptions to other border policies, the, the government is currently saying that they will accept for processing 70 people a day, seven zero people per day in Tijuana. But around two months ago, when we saw many Ukrainians fleeing war by going to Mexico and then requesting to cross in Tijuana, the government was able to kick up its capacity very quickly and process upwards of a thousand people a day. Mm versus 70 is what they're saying they have capacity for. And so again, and I, I agree, we sound like broken records, but when the political will is there, CBP, Customs and Border Protection, has a budget for emergency response. And so that's how it was able to expand its capacity quickly. And we can do that. So I do agree that we have spent two years or four years, <laughs> depending on how you look at it, turning people away at the border. And so there are going to be many, many more people than we can process in a day. But I think that we have more capacity than the government and the media is giving the government credit for. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's just important to note that, that so much of it has to do with political will. Okay, so we've mentioned Title 42 a couple times, but we have not talked about it. Um, you know, I think we should talk briefly about the interplay of MPP and Title 42, and hopefully we can <laughs> keep it brief. I know there's so much to say. Um, what are your thoughts, Kate? So they're similar policies in that they result in asylum-seeking migrants getting sent back to Mexico. Um, MPP is only slightly better because it does allow people to register for asylum, right? So they're, if they're in MPP, their name is in the system, they're awaiting a hearing and they get to come to a hearing. Um, I don't think that MPP gives people true access to justice or the asylum process, but technically they are registered in a system. Whereas Title 42 is a border closure due to COVID, um, and it just rejects people. It doesn't, you know, take down their name. It doesn't add them to a list. It just sends them right back. But the result is that a desperate migrant gets kicked right back to Mexico. And that processing for both MVP and for Title 42 is, is quite quick. Uh, and so that's another point that the numbers of border apprehensions uh, look a lot higher than they are in reality because when people come and then they just get kicked back under Title 42, uh, they try again tomorrow. And that counts as a whole other apprehension. So it's, I, I mean, I've seen people talk about maybe the numbers are five times as high as they actually are in reality. Um, but the, Title 42 is in a similar procedural position as MPP which is that the Biden, it was a Trump era policy. The Biden administration announced that it would cancel Title 42 as of this May. And uh, I, I, was it, I think in that particular lawsuit, it was, it was Arizona attorney general that filed, I can't remember which state filed that suit and got the injunction, but the Title 42 cancellation is also under injunction. And it'll be really interesting to see what happens with it after the Supreme Court decision on MPP. Yeah, and I think another thing to note about the interplay between Title 42 and MPP is that they're applied differently depending on nationality, right? So, right. so Mexico has agreed to accept for Title 42, ex, what they call expulsion on foot, people from Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. 
they won't, you know, at least officially accept anybody else. And so you see people from those four countries not having any pathway to asylum and just getting, getting kicked back without, you know, being put into our immigration court system. A number of other countries are subject to MPP. There are still other countries that are not subject to either policy, and so they get processed in. And so we, what we see is we see these policies disparately impacting, um, especially people, you know, of of you know black and brown races, um, and and that is a huge, huge concern, um, along with the multitude of other concerns we've discussed about these two policies. Mm-hmm. One other thing I wanted to bring up is that. You know, you mentioned a few minutes ago, Kate, about how for a number of years now, someone from El Salvador can't come to the border or any country, but you use El Salvador as an example, or many countries can't come to the border and say, I'm afraid to return to my home country. I'd like to request asylum. That is a provision of law in the United States. In 1980, you know, after the Holocaust, the UN Refugee Convention that we didn't sign on to until much after the Holocaust, but we signed on to it. And then the Vietnam War, we finally enacted our Refugee Act, which provides that irregardless of your status at the time of entry and irrespective of whether you entered at an official quote unquote port of entry or border crossing point, or if you cross the river, the person may apply for asylum mm-hmm. if they have a fear of return. And we these two policies have completely cut off that legal right. And so we're excited to see that one of them looks like it's going to get restored here pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the policies is going to end. And so for certain folks, their, their right to seek asylum is going to be restored. So I think that's all I've got. What about you, Kate? Anything else? I think we covered it. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Thanks. Have a great weekend.